Beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and Q&A. Register for our newsletter at michaelbenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Morning, everybody, and welcome to uh, class number 50. This is the beginning of a whole new year exactly 52 weeks ago that we started. So we missed three, and so we've got 49 in the can, and this will be class number 50. Today, I, I, you know, I've been thinking about the class today, and I'm really excited about it because this topic, inner guidance, touches on so many aspects of our life. And it's... Uh, it's something that I think many people live their entire lives wondering about and yet never get any real clarity about what's available to me when I sit quietly. We know what's available in our heads when we're in normal consciousness or normal awareness, and it's a lot of negative voices produced by routine non-specific or free-floating anxiety criticizing us, telling us we're not good enough, bringing up fears of inadequacy, watch out for this, everything's out to get you, that shadow. You know, there's a, a great story in Eastern philosophy about being afraid of the snake and then realizing it's not a snake at all, it's just a coiled rope. But to you, it was a snake. And even though in reality it was a rope, your reality, your subjective reality is it was a snake and it made you jump and it made your heart race and you only saw it out of the corner of your eye. So we talk a lot about perception as reality. Uh, your perception of the reflection of your projection. That's the way I've been, <laughs> that's the way I've been saying it lately. Reality is your perception of the reflection of your projection. Sort of a fun way to sort things out in, in your head. So the whole idea of inner guidance is what we'll address today. And it brings up the question of, well, who is available when we get quiet? And those voices of the unconscious, those amygdala-based, fear-based, survival-based voices tend to diminish somewhat, and the still small voice of the intuition rises. Is that the Lord Almighty? Is that the Godhead? Is it Jesus? Is it the angels? Is it saints? Is it animal spirits? Is it your ancestors? Is it your guardian angels? Or could it be your own overshadowing soul, above and free of form, on its own plane. Well, I'll leave that to you to decide. And how do we know whether to trust it, whether to honor 
and respect that voice? Uh, does it tend to arrive with a sense of confirmation? Does it appear to be reliable, and can we test that out? Just some of what we're going to talk about today after the opening meditation, and fit it into last week's discussion about the practical applications for solving problems. Remember, I proposed last week that there's only two types of problems. Either you know what you want, but the problem is getting it, or getting there, or making it happen, manifesting it, producing it, creating it. In which case, we offered you the technique called mirror of the mind, or, well, it's sort of a positive thinking on steroids, um, imagining yourself already having it with great clarity and specificity. And then uh, we're left with, well, that second kind of problem then is I don't know what I want, or I sort of think I know what I want, but I, I'm not really sure whether it's what I really want, and I haven't really examined why I want what I seem to want. So I go to envision myself already having it, and I sort of come up against a, a wall then. I'm, what about the second kind of problem, when we just don't know what we want? And so uh, we'll talk about inner guidance and how to, how to ask yourself, your higher self, and again, explore some of the possibilities of where that comes from, what makes it reliable, and how is it different from the monkey mind that is so, so negative. One of the most important breakthroughs in esoteric philosophy, in metaphysics, in mysticism, in comparative religion, in transpersonal psychology, is the understanding that there's more than the persona, more than the personality more than the self, small s, self, who we've come to presume we are. If someone says to you, who are you? You're likely to say your name. Certainly understandable that you would. Who are you? Well, I'm Michael Benner. Really? Well, that's your name. I get that. Um, Benner is probably the male side, the masculine side of your family. And Michael is a name to, that was given to you so that you'd be distinguishable <laughs> from your brothers and sisters. That's your name, Michael Benner, but who are you? Well, usually then we go to our profession. You know, well, I'm a student, I'm a teacher. I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm an Indian chief. Or maybe we go deeper. I'm my wife's husband. I'm my husband's wife. My boyfriend or girlfriend's significant other. Or a gender. I'm a male, I'm a female. That used to be easy. It's getting 
with gender fluidity a little more complicated now as we reconsider that it's uh, beneficial to, well, again, consider that each and every one of us has male and female aspects within us. I learned early in life how to be, quote, a man, a boy, and then a man. It took maturity and meeting some extraordinary women to learn to pull on my feminine side. Women, too, pulling on their masculine energies, learning to assert themselves, stand up for themselves, demand not to be objectified. And this process can continue. And at some point, I would suggest that there's an enormous importance in considering that even beyond our physical presence in form, in a body, on this planet, we are, as we explored in the meditation we just did, the awareness that illumines and animates it. For in the end, we're a sack of protoplasm, we're a bag of meat made out of what we've had to eat that is made out of the minerals of the earth. Look in your vitamin cabinet, there's minerals in there. There's magnesium and potassium and manganese and boron and silicon and, and zinc. <laughs> there's even a little gold in your body and some silver and, and all of that. As Joni Mitchell said so eloquently, is stardust. We're, we're stardust. We're the clay of the earth. And uh, yet something illumines and animates that. What is that? Isn't that closer to who we are than the, uh, the meat puppet? And who is that? And given that most religion, particularly the monotheistic or Abrahamic religions of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam would have us consider that the soul, that spiritual aspect, spirit meaning energy or breath that illumines and animates us, dwells within. Indeed, I think it does, but what if it also overshadows? What is the overshadowing soul? If if you come to these classes, uh, Wisdom of the Soul classes on Sunday, on a regular basis, you've heard us talk about this. The whole idea of an overshadowing soul that perhaps above and free of form, I say perhaps, I feel strongly about this, that above and free of form, there is an overshadowing soul. And that instead of you and me as human beings having a soul, maybe it's the other way around. Maybe the soul has us. Maybe we're not a body with a soul, but a soul with a body. Now, a thousand years ago, I could be burned at the stake for that. 
They have my limbs pulled out, stretched on the rack, tortured, punished by a church that presumes that it's the state. It gets its authority not from the people, but from what they claim to be the Lord on high. This is the problem with theocracy, whether it's the Taliban or the Christian nationalists in America that want only Christians to be citizens. The whole idea of the church being the state, that's why we have separation of church and state. Not only freedom of religion, but freedom from religion. That's all part of the First Amendment, the basic liberty to be free from the rules and regulations imposed by the church. One of the problems we have with the Supreme Court right now, there's five very, very conservative Catholics on the Supreme Court. And they've made their religious beliefs law. And we're tiptoeing back toward the Dark Ages. That's what happened when the church, before the discovery of the so-called Americas, that's what the Dark Ages were. What made them dark? Why were there no universities in Europe? Why was civilization not advancing the way it was in the Middle East and the Far East? Why did we not have the scientific discoveries and the art and the culture that the rest of the world had? Well, there were dark ages in Europe. Civilization was not flourishing because of the dogma, the ritual, the superstition of the church imposing itself on the state and claiming to be the state. And yet, one of the beliefs that is held over is the idea that the soul indwells only. It does not overshadow. It indwells, and it's stained. You're born evil, and you're tempted by these animal impulses. Well, true enough that we're tempted to do horrible things, and we're capable of horrible things, because we are in animal bodies. But we're also inspired to do beautiful, wonderful things. We'll sacrifice our lives, you know, risk your life to run into a burning building to save somebody's dog or kitten. Sort of illogical, but many people are compelled to do that without even thinking. What is the goodness in us? What is the godness in us that makes us care? Why do you care? Why do you find a flower beautiful? Why does beauty make you pause? And hopefully you have not relinquished that wonder and that awe. To realize that not only do you care, and that your identity is less in what you think of yourself than what you care about, but that you care. What is it that causes you to give a damn? Why do you care? Why do you love? Why do things matter to you that matter? What matters and why? That's who you are, not this meat sack or the personality that we've cobbled together to gain acceptance and approval from other people. There's a deeper essence to us. And if that is so, 
If there is a higher self, so-called a solar self, an eternal, immortal, infinite self that stands between the one and the manifested multiplicity, that middle element between the one and the many, we ought to be able to contact it, right? We ought to be, <laughs> we ought to be able to listen such that we have words like inspiration or um, an epiphany, a revelation, a good idea, the aha experience, the lid-lifting, enlightening, aha, oh my, the thoughts that arrive full-blown. I love that phrase. Joseph Chilton Pierce, let's give credit words to attribution. Joseph Chilton Pierce, author of Cracking the Cosmic Egg, talked about intuition as thoughts that arrive full-blown. And we don't even think about it, and it's not even taught in the schools. Nobody ever in my educational experience made any reference at all to the wonder of an idea that arrives already full-blown, already figured out, so to speak, with a beginning and a middle and an end and a set of conclusions already figured <laughs> already figured out for me such that I'm blinded by the light. Oh my God, that lid lifting. Sometimes intuition, revelation, the aha experience comes slowly. You've heard me talk about the dawning of a new idea. Sometimes, like the archetype, you see in cartoons of the light bulb over somebody's head, sometimes it just pops on like that. Oh my God, well, why didn't I think of this before? Boing, boing. And sometimes you're thunderstruck. It's like the top of your head blows off and your life has changed forevermore. But it arrives full-blown, already thought out. The whole ding-dang-doodle. Where's that come from? Why don't we wonder? Why don't they tell us in school? Why don't they tell us in church, temple, synagogue, mosque? Where that comes from? And again, I'm not going to uh, pick nits here. If you think that's the Lord Almighty, the absolute Godhead speaking to you personally, fine. If it's Jesus or Buddha, any of the prophets, the saints, the sages, your ancestors, animal spirits. I don't think the belief system matters that much. What matters is get quiet, ask, and you shall receive, knock, and the door shall be opened. Those phrases ought to sound familiar to you. And so, the solution to the second kind of problem, well, what if I don't know what I want? And again, this dovetails with last week. Well, when I know what I want, well, the problem is getting it. I need to visualize myself already having it. That'll accelerate, amplify my growth toward it, create opportunities, provide insight and understanding. If you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. There is no there there. 
<laughs> that's the point of the George Harrison song. Lewis Carroll plays with that also in the Alice's Adventures in Wonderland when Alice is talking to the hookah-smoking caterpillar and he wants to know where she's going and she says, well, I don't know. And he said, well, then it doesn't really matter what road, what road you take. You don't know where you're going. And then George Harrison did that song that uh, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. I think I made the point well last week in class that you need to have a destination if you expect to get there. You need to know what you want. That avoiding what you do not want is not a goal. And spending your whole life avoiding what you do not want is not going to be fulfilling. It's not going to make you happy. It's not productive. You need to ask yourself, am I continually avoiding what I don't want? Avoiding pain and suffering? Avoiding deep commitments, profound relationships? Avoiding the fact that I hate my job and so I'm going to just keep doing the job? Avoiding having to figure out what I'm really here to do? What is my calling? What am I supposed to be doing? Avoid, 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 deny, deny, deny. That's not going to do it. So positive thinking, goal-oriented thinking aids in the manifestation. Healing works in the same way. Physical healing, emotional healing, just another kind of problem solving. When you know what you want, go to a deep, quiet, meditative place and visualize yourself already having it and experience the passion and the enthusiasm of Hot damn, oh boy, this is going to be great as I'm every day moving closer and closer to the realization. Because I'm in the image of the creator, I can create. Especially when I have love in my heart. And that which I intend to create and am creating is for the greater good of all. Not just me, regardless of consequences. and so. The only other kind of problem, what if I don't know what I want? <laughs> what do I do when I don't know what to do? I don't have a goal. I, I tried to visualize myself having it, and then I realized I don't know what it is. The solution is to pull on your inner guidance. One additional aspect of, as, uh, of accessing inner guidance, sort of a tangential technique that I want to mention here, if not dwell on, is incubating dreams. If you're a regular pot smoker, if you smoke weed, it, uh, it tends to interfere with short-term memory such that long-term memory is unaffected but you're less likely to remember your dreams. Lots of pot smokers will say, well, I enjoy smoking pot. I think it's healthy for me. Actually, it's good for me. Stimulates the endocannabinoid system. It's my medicine. Fine, but it's quite possible it's going to interfere with your ability to remember dreams. So make no mistake, everybody dreams every night. The question is, do you remember the dream? 
And if you form the intention to remember the dream, for example, if you put a journal that is dedicated to dreams and nothing but dreams on the table next to your bed, you're much more likely to remember the dream. And when you wake up in the morning before you roll out of bed and your feet hit the floor, you reflect on the dream. It even changes the way you awaken in the morning bringing the memory of your most recent dream with you. And you jot it down, even if it's just a, a, a fragment of the dream. And as you become better at that, you're then able to incubate dreams to solve problems of this type. I don't know what I want. Help me discern. Again, not what to do, because we don't know what to do about what. That's the wrong question. Do not Approach problem solving with what should I do? What do you think I should do? I don't know what to do. The approach always begins with do I know what I want? And if it's yes, then you do the mirror of the mind technique and think positively, be optimistic, know that it's unfolding because every day you visualize yourself already having it. All right. And your behavior is about moving toward a pre-existing goal or objective. Like, I know it already exists in time and space. I'm just moving closer and closer to it. Once we begin to become more skilled at remembering our spontaneous dreams, then you can program a dream or incubate a dream. And the way you do this, when you have a problem of the type we're talking about this week, I don't know what I want, is to get into bed, say your prayers, or pump your pillow, or toss and turn a little bit, or whatever your little ritual is before going to sleep. And as you settle in and begin to relax and let go and drift off to dreamland, subvocalize silently, internally in your head. And say something along these lines. And who, who are you speaking to when you speak to yourself silently? You're talking to the unconscious. The conscious mind is talking to the unconscious. Sometimes called the subconscious. That's a non-clinical term for the same thing. Subconscious or unconscious. Your conscious mind says to the unconscious, when I wake up in the morning, I'll remember a dream that will contain the information I'm looking for to solve this problem. You can use your own words. You can change the order of the phrases. However, be sure and include when I wake up in the morning or at my appointed time. Some of you may be using a mental alarm clock. That's another great technique. should not have to set an alarm. Everybody has the ability, before they lay down, even for a nap, to look at the clock, see what time it is, close your eyes, visualize another clock, seeing what time you wish to wake up, and you will wake up automatically. To the minute, you'll be, <laughs> you'll be amazed at how accurate your internal clock is. So, you would do that first, if you're going to incubate a dream. And then just say to yourself, when I wake up in the morning, because you don't want to wake up at the end of every 90-minute dream cycle and remember the dream, write it down, have to go back to sleep. So 
You have to be literal and not figurative in your language. When I wake up in the morning, at the time I intend to wake up, I will remember a dream that contains the information I'm looking for to solve the problem I have in mind. And I'll understand it, and I'll write it down in my journal. Because sometimes you get little pieces. You don't always get the whole thing. And if it doesn't work the first night, you do it the second night, you do it the third night. You never learned anything in one try. Get back on the bicycle. Practice your tennis and your golf game. Practice your musical instrument. Same thing here. So you get that going. There is no limit to the problems you can solve by programming dreams. I repaired a car once. It was a van, actually. I had this Dodge van in the 70s. And I flushed a radiator once and uh, thought I'd save some money, do it on my own. And I hooked the hoses up wrong. But I was so careful about it that when it occurred to me that I may have done that, I dismissed it out of hand. I said, no, that. That couldn't be the problem. I just know my heater doesn't work and there's something wrong. And Every time my intuition said, well, check the hoses. Maybe you switch the hoses. I dismissed it. I knew I had not done that. So finally, in desperation, I programmed a dream and I woke up in the morning remembering a dream where I'm changing the heater hoses. And so I thought, well, okay, <laughs> I might as well try it. And that fixed it. So again, whether we're incubating a dream or whether we're just going to do a meditation to stand open and receptive to our own higher self, our own oversoul, everybody has inner guidance, but you're not going to access it in normal consciousness, either in a sleep, in a dream state, or a meditative state, which is the same brainwave level where you dream. Remember the four levels? We went over this in class. Bears repeating. Beta is wide awake. Alpha is mild meditation. It's where kids play, where the outer world falls away and you just live in a nice, focused, little, warm, fuzzy bubble. Theta is a trance state associated with hypnagogic imagery and REM activity in the eyes. And below theta, four cycles or less, is delta deep non-dream sleep. You come out of that up into theta for five minutes or so, every 90 minutes, and then back down into deep non-dream sleep. It continues all night long. If you didn't dream, you'd go crazy in a week. Google it if you don't believe me. Again and again and again, experiments have been done where people are allowed to sleep as much as they want. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten hours, but are robbed of dream time. They're gently awakened every time they begin the REM activity. And they begin to hallucinate after four or five days. They get schizophrenic and crazy. Dreams are imperative, gang. If you say, I never dream, that's nonsense. You, you, you may not remember your dreams, but you're dreaming. This idea of inner guidance has to happen in a meditation. That's the only thing I'm saying. Obviously, dreaming is the sleep thing, but all you have to do is ask yourself. Some people imagine a guide, a spirit. You could think of Jesus. You could think of the smartest person you ever know 
have known or known of. You could you could imagine yourself having a dialogue with Einstein or Stephen Hawking or um, some great humanitarian, the Dalai Lama, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's your imagination. But it facilitates you questioning and then standing open and receptive to your own, I would say, your own oversoul on its own plane, above and free of form. Let that information precipitate down. It comes as light. And it arrives with confirmation of, oh my God, that's it. That's what I'm, or that's a better idea. And then you just repeat the process.